0: Hello and welcome to Panorama. My name is Sarah Robertson and I'm here with my co-host Dan Torres. How are you doing Dan?
1: I'm doing well Sarah. How are you?
0: I'm good and I'm excited to have on the show with us today Grace Banish. She is the town clerk for the town of Shootsbury and we are going to talk a little bit today about local elections and public access and how elections are kind of at the center of a lot these days. Welcome Grace. Thank you for having me. So Grace, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was that um, I've heard that town officials and specifically town clerks like yourself are getting overrun with these records requests about the 2020 election um, there's the big lie that we're all familiar with that the election was stolen and it's playing out in the form of these records requests I was hoping you could tell us a bit about those and what it's been like dealing with that on your end
2: absolutely so I want to start by saying that I really enjoy filling public records requests. I think that access to public records is a fundamental pillar of government and democracy. And I also have been on the receiving end for the last two-plus years now of these predatory records requests. And I want to be very clear about what I mean Mm. when I say a predatory records request. This is not just any records request. It has to meet specific criteria. Number one, it is either implicitly or overtly hostile. Number two, it is submitted simultaneously or successively to multiple election jurisdictions. And number Mm -hmm. three, it is asking either partially or in some cases wholly for records that either do not exist or are not public. And it would be very easy and obvious to know ahead of time that those records either don't exist or are not public. So an example, a very popular records request that I get from people all over the country here in tiny little Shutesbury, a western Mass Hill town of about 1,700 people, um, has been for ballot images. Now, Mm -hmm. the first thing you need to know is that in Massachusetts, we don't create ballot images full stop because it is... Uh, prohibited by state law to create an image of a cast ballot. So there are some towns and cities in Massachusetts that use voting equipment that in other states uh, might be taking ballot images, but in Massachusetts, that capability is turned off and dismantled before the machines are ever allowed to be used. So no one in Massachusetts has ballot images in the first place. You then add to that, here in Shutesbury, like so many small New England towns, we are hand counting hand marked paper ballots, and we have an old fashioned wooden crank turned ballot box. You know, uh, it's got the number ticker on the front, it's got the crank that goes around, it's got the little bell that goes ding. This is <laughs> not a machine that is capable of taking images in the first place, it doesn't have the right parts. So I started getting (laughs) records requests for ballot images right after, at the end of November in 2020, and at first I was super confused because I assumed, well, no one would have that, and then eventually, because I just kept getting these requests, I went out and I talked to other people and I did research and I learned that, oh, things work differently in other states. So this is a request that might make sense in Arizona, but it doesn't make any sense in Massachusetts. And then I figured out that, oh, that's because these requests are being copied and pasted. So what's happening Mm -hmm. is people who are organizing and making money off of the big lie post these templates to their followers and say, submit this to every single election office in the country that you can find. And what ends up happening is something functionally similar to a distributed denial of service attack where small offices like mine just get completely overwhelmed.
0: And where are these requests coming from? Or can you even tell?
2: Sometimes you can tell. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes they come from people in the Boston area. Sometimes they come from people in New Jersey. Sometimes they come From, you know, but most of the time it's coming from multiple sources. So I'll get the same copied and pasted request from like five different people in the space of a week asking Mm -hmm. for stuff that, you know, people who sometimes those accounts are, you know, anonymous email accounts, which is totally allowed to do to you're absolutely allowed to anonymously request access to a public record it, you know but they're not really interested in the records themselves which is pretty obvious since those records don't exist
1: So it's like they're spamming you really um.
2: that's really what it is and it's you know it's a very it is a low effort strategy with a high impact hmm. and what makes it so tricky to address is that public record access is so important. So it's hard to figure out how to address this problem that is happening without it affecting public record access, which is the last thing any of us want to do.
1: Besides the images of ballots that, like you said, you don't have access to, no, no place does in Massachusetts. Um, what else are they asking for?
2: Another very popular one is the cast vote report, which Mike Lindell has been selling as the smoking gun. Now, a cast vote report, having never seen one myself or worked with one at all, from what I understand is if you are using certain types of election machines and you are tabulating the ballots, the cast vote report is like an internal report report that says this is what the machine did at this moment in time. So it's not even telling you what the votes on the ballot were so much as it's saying this is what, you know, the machine counted. It's very obscure. It's very technical. Again, my wooden mm-hmm. box with clockwork inside of it is not capable of producing this. And they just I, the last one I got was a couple weeks ago. Like, it's not like this just happened right after the 2020. This has been constant since 2020, and and it started just before 2020.
0: How many do you think you've gotten to date?
2: Dozens. I have Mm -hmm. a binder that is full of them because I I realized pretty early on that we had to start keeping track of these since so many of them uh, replicating requests that have been made several months ago, often by the same people. If you keep track of them, it makes it a lot easier to uh, respond to them. So this document, this binder I have that I started making as a way to help myself do the work, has really turned into a record of this very organized harassment campaign.
1: Can you talk about the the burden that this puts on small towns when you get this large number of requests for things that you don't have because for state laws or, or your machine is one like you talk about is is it's just the old kind of machine that just takes in ballots old school you're like cranking something it's not a modern machine per se but w- what is is it is the burden you don't have the staff is it just there are too many requests and you have to respond to all of them can you just say we do not have this information and, and send that back to them
2: So I can tell them that we don't have the information, but I still have to check. The thing about a public records request is that I don't, I can't ignore it. That's what makes this different from just spamming or trolling somebody online. You can ignore that kind of behavior. This, I am legally required to respond to every request fairly and conscientiously and to do my due diligence. That takes up time. Uh, I'm a small town clerk. I'm only paid for 25 hours a week. I am currently having to work at least five hours a week of unpaid overtime to keep up with the, the election mandates. But when I have to, so when I have to spend time writing a thorough and correct response to someone out of state who wants a cast vote record about why that doesn't exist, that's time I don't get to spend doing the work I'm actually supposed to be doing for my neighbors. So what it's really doing is robbing the taxpayers because they're paying for that time. And it's not doing them any good. They don't benefit from me killing people who do not care about Chutesbury, Massachusetts, like, we are not relevant to any of these strategies uh, that, nope, we do not have a cast vote record. Nope, we don't have any ballot images. I don't have a tape deck.
1: And do you have to provide the reason for that, we do not have that, because no place does in Massachusetts?
2: I don't have to. At the beginning, we did.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That added a lot of time.
1: Mm.
2: Uh If people are interested in knowing why we don't have those things, I am delighted to have that conversation. For the meantime, mostly what I say is there are no records responsive to your request.
0: That's the one. All right. Thanks for that, Grace. And um, we have been speaking with Grace Spanish, the town clerk from Shootsbury, about local elections this year. And when we come back, I'd like to ask you about um, what kind of election mandates you're dealing with now. And we'll be right back after this. Right. Hello, and welcome back to Panorama, where we are speaking with Grace Banish, the Shutesbury Town Clerk, about the upcoming election and elections in general. So, Grace, you talked about in the last segment how there are new election mandates that you are kind of grappling with as a town clerk. I believe you're talking about the Votes Act. Um, would you tell me a bit about how that's changed your job? Yeah, so the Votes Act has been
2: both a blessing and a curse, I'd say. I am so relieved that it got passed. That it finally got passed. I am so relieved. I've um, November 8th will be the. I, I started as an assistant town clerk in 2019. November 8th will be my the ninth election I have administered, and until basically until until September, um, I have every one of those elections has been administered under a different set of laws. So I am just over the moon. <laughs> to finally have something that's going to be consistent from this upcoming election to the next one, hopefully more or less, and be able to plan ahead and have something to give me something to some sort of solid ground. I'm so happy. We also have a lot of work to do to make the Votes Act actually effective in Massachusetts, so a big thing I've been struggling with here in Shootsbury over the last couple of weeks has been um, the required minimums for early voting. Because Shootsbury is a town with uh, less than 2,000 voters, my office is required to provide in-person early voting for 25% of my usual business hours. I've rounded that up a bit to two hours a day during Monday through Friday, and then, our required minimum for weekends is four hours on at least one day per weekend that was a that was a a change from what was originally opposed or proposed originally they were proposing two hours per day per each day per weekends and myself and a bunch of other small town town clerks pushed back on that because if you're saying that We have to be providing early voting Monday through Sunday in the small towns. That means one person is working nonstop for a month, and that would kill us. That is overworking, and we wouldn't be getting paid for that time. So we had to push back just to take Sundays off. And when I say take Sundays off, what I mean is we're – pretty much still here working because we still have to process any ballots that have come in through the Dropbox. We still have to do data entry. We still have to respond to voters. So a lot of the times, even if we can take one day off, we're still going to be here. That's been, you know, and and in Shootsbury, we've had very low turnout throughout this early voting period. It's been pretty much either two or four voters a day. The highest we've had so far for daily turnout was seven voters. In 2020, our highest daily turnout was around 200 voters. So there is a huge range of what I could be expecting when I'm trying to plan for early voting. It's very difficult. This has been a huge learning process. The big problem is that the state didn't provide any funding for this. So this is a massive increase in labor costs. And right now, that's all coming out of my own town clerk budget. And it's We're out of more than personal we life. need. And <laughs> and my own personal life, exactly. And it, it's it's more than we need. And it could, you know, I I often feel frustrated that I have to offer it at the same place in the same time pretty much every day. Because, you know, stuff is going on around town. If I could go to where the stuff is happening, then maybe I could get more voters, but, um, you know, in a small town like shoots in a hill town, that stuff is happening outside in most places. It's not happening in the kind of place you can set up a precinct. So it's been a uh, frustrating and also a huge relief to have something that I know won't change overnight okay. or like at 5:30 on a Friday.
1: Yeah. Can we step back for a second? Cause I might've mm-hmm. missed this. Um, the Votes Act, what is it? Uh, Is this a state law? And if I'm hearing you correctly, it seems like there was additional uh, mandates imposed on towns like yourself, but there isn't the funding to get it done. Is is that what I'm hearing? Is that correct?
0: Oh, there was actually uh, a challenge in the Massachusetts Supreme Court over the Votes Act.
2: Yes, because the Republicans argued that it was um, a violation of the state constitution because the state constitution prescribes absentee voting as requiring an excuse, which that's also hugely frustrating as a town clerk, because one of the things that really bothers, bothers me about in-person early voting is that it is nothing like in-office absentee voting, which we already had and we already did, were doing and works great and isn't disruptive, but the state constitution, Constitution says that absentee voting is only available for people who are unable to attend the polls in person on election day due to either absence, religion, or disability, and that those are the only three things that can do absentee voting. So instead of passing a constitutional amendment, which at this point I'm like, that makes the most sense in this situation, we created a separate system for in-person early voting. Yeah, so the Votes Act was passed in June, Oh, God, I remember that. It was like a few days before my special election on June 28th was when it was finally passed. It was like the Friday before. And I was like, wait, do I have a whole new set of laws for my election on Tuesday? Oh, man. I didn't. I didn't. I Because it was too close. The new law wouldn't, wasn't going to affect me because the election was too close. But I was so panicking for a second
1: <laughs> But it, so, so if I'm understanding the Votes Act correctly here, it's a state law that expanded the ability to do uh, yeah. voting by by mail, by by many different forms, early voting, right? All of these expansions. Yeah. So it, it's seen as a way to increase uh, voter turnout in the state in, in many different facets. But you also see. A bit of a drawback given that you have a very small team limited number of hours to then accommodate all of these expanded hours and possibilities and like you said it could fluctuate from 2020 having 200 votes a day to seven or two right so it's
2: mm-hmm. and one of those two votes is the poll worker
1: oh wow okay <laughs>
2: really one. we got one voter okay um yeah so the votes act I'm a big fan of a lot of parts of the VOTES Act. The VOTES Act is a Massachusetts state law that was passed in June of 2022. It uh, made vote-by-mail a permanent option for everyone in Massachusetts, and it increased the number of early voting hours across the state. It also requires that the um, Secretary of State's office mail out vote-by-mail applications to every voter, registered voter before uh, statewide elections. So those little postcards you might have gotten in the mail. Now, I've mailed out around 480 vote by mail ballots, and I've gotten about 180 back so far. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe people got those postcards and assumed that they had to fill them out, even though they didn't intend to vote by mail. Uh, (laughs) That's one thing. I think that... um, We've all gotten so used to vote by mail that we tend to forget. It's still really, really new in Massachusetts. And we are still very much learning how to make this work. And a big thing we're learning in Massachusetts, I think, right now is that this is adding months to election work time for town clerks. So it used to be you really started doing election prep stuff like it was one month. It is four months now. Wow. Um, that's four months when I am not prioritizing all the other things a town clerk does, dog tags, business licenses, birth, marriage, death certificates, the town archives, um, so much other stuff. And if you are expanding voting access at the expense of, vote, of election administrators, the election offices collapse and the voters are in disenfranchised as a result. So making sure that election workers have the funding we need, that we are getting paid for our time, that is should be a priority for voting rights activists. That's right now the biggest threat to voting rights in Massachusetts is town clerks quitting by the
1: drove. Happening in so many different Absolutely. sectors of the economy, but you know, we think about that. This is about elections and voting and democracy. Uh, we have to take a break, but before we take a break, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Electronic Registration Information Center that Massachusetts joined when they signed the Votes Act. It's mm-hmm. a nonprofit that centralizes voter information electronically. Has this made a difference in Shutesbury? If at all. We
2: haven't. It's not up and running yet. Um, So we haven't really started. We're going to. We're working on it. And this I mean, the statewide, like not just in Shutesbury. statewide. We haven't uh, started. We haven't gotten access to that data yet. I am so excited for when we do. It is an excellent program. It is absolutely basic common sense. It is nonpartisan. The federal government should be doing it. And I am so grateful that Eric exists to step in and fill the need. I am so excited because right now the process for getting information when people move out of Massachusetts and register to vote in another state, unless they, the voter takes it upon themselves to inform us, which most people don't do that, it, it's very cumbersome. Mm. And Eric joining Eric is going to make it easy peasy.
1: Great. We're talking with Grace Banish here, Shootsbury town clerk on local elections and public records. And we'll be right back on Panorama.
0: Hello and welcome back to Panorama. We are here with Grace Banish. She's the town clerk in Shootsbury and we're talking about local elections. And I actually heard recently about a case in Arizona where a judge ruled that it was completely legal for people armed with guns to stand outside of the ballot drop boxes in that state. I thought we had such thing as voter intimidation laws, but apparently not. And I I bring this up just because I want to draw attention to the climate that we're in today around elections and the big lie that the election was stolen in 2020. And I want to see if you're feeling that in any way, Grace, in, in your role as a town clerk. I think we're all feeling
2: it. So what's happening at that drop box in Maricopa County that is being surveilled by armed vigilantes, Absolutely, voter intimidation. It is horrifying and it is completely inappropriate. Um, it is also, I have seen that specific incident is having an impact on voters here in Massachusetts. On Saturday, I had a voter who came in to vote during early voting uh, who lives in Shutesbury. He's lived here for many years, but he used to live in Maricopa County in Arizona. And he walked in and he looked around at our tiny little town hall basement with little bits of clutter and a historical ephemera and, you know, us two volunteers hanging out New England style. And he looked at me with this haunted expression on his face and he said, if I still lived in Arizona, that drop box with the men with guns would have been where I voted. And he felt. Grateful to feel safe where he was voting now and also conflicted about feeling safe. And it was distressing. And I'm watching it and I'm, you know, until then, I had been thinking about this incident as something that's happening to other people but it is affecting the voters who are in my care as well. This is a form of voter intimidation that is having a national effect because voters don't belong to just one community. We have roots and relationships everywhere, and as Americans, we're affected by what happens in other states. I want to say in defense of drop boxes, drop boxes are boxes. It is literally the most basic tool in existence, There is no conspiracy to be had about them. They're just boxes, you guys. Also, they are a million times more secure than the postal box. So I don't know what people are worried about, honestly.
1: I wanted to to touch on something that you said a little bit earlier. Is it hard in this environment to recruit poll workers, given this sort of sense of tension, polarization, and intimidation? And then also about town clerks, you said there's a possibility some might start leaving. Can you just expand on that a little bit more? What are mm-hmm. the consequences if town clerks who are, who are preparing these elections are, are changing hands all the time or quitting? What, what, what would happen to elections? Draw that out for us.
2: So right now there are a couple uh, vacant town clerk positions across Massachusetts. What's happening in those offices right now is town clerks and assistant town clerks from neighboring towns have banded together and are taking shifts to keep that office afloat until someone can be found to replace them. There's an office that has gone through multiple replacements where people have quit after their first election because the stress was ungodly and they really couldn't take it and then a town clerk comes back out of retirement again and again. It is, this has always been, now this was, when I started as the assistant town clerk in 2019, first of all, I had no idea what an assistant town clerk was. I saw a job ad in the town newsletter, and it was above minimum wage, and it was an eight-minute commute. So I applied for it. Um, I got the job, fell in love with the work, I like to think my town got at least half as lucky as I did in that. But what I found out later was I'd been the only applicant in six months of searching. And this is a good job. It's You know, I, I am like one of the only people out of my friend group who didn't lose their job at the start of the pandemic. That's real job security right there. But people don't know this job exists. So even before the pandemic, even before the big lie, We already had a huge problem in Massachusetts where there was no pipeline to bring new people into a hugely important line of work. And then we get to 2020 and people start delaying their retirements because they need to stay throughout 2020 because of COVID. And I think it's really important that we remember this didn't start as a partisan narrative. What we were dealing with was the biggest pandemic in human history and making sure that democracy did not falter during that and switching to vote by mail at the drop of a hat, transforming Massachusetts elections in the most significant way, probably in our state history. I mean, you could maybe argue that the introduction of the secret ballot uh, was more important, but That didn't happen statewide immediately the same way vote-by-mail did. We did something immensely historical. We were working in person throughout the pandemic. We were essential frontline workers, and people put their lives on the line. And then instead of getting a second to catch our breaths after that, we've been harassed, we've gotten death threats, we are preparing ourselves and our staff physical violence. The Massachusetts Town Clerks Association did an active shooter drill for the first time ever at a conference last winter to prepare us in case this happens. Because at this point, not preparing us for that would be irresponsible. That's how bad things are. And this is a job that takes up your whole life. A lot of people, uh, I, I don't have hard numbers, because nobody has kept track of it so far in Massachusetts, of the turnover. But this is a, a job when, when I started, people had been town clerk for 30, 40, 50 years. Like once you got into this job, if you liked it, you didn't leave. And people who love the work are leaving because they can't stand the environment.
1: Well, we got to take a break. We're talking with Grace Spanish here at Shutesbury Town Clerk on local elections and public records requests. And we'll be right back here on Panorama.
0: All right, hello and welcome back to Panorama. Uh, my name is Sarah Robertson and we are speaking with Grace Banish. She's the uh, town clerk from Chutesbury and She's been telling us a bit about what it's been like administering elections in such a crazy time for our democracy. And Grace, as you've told us, Shootsbury uh, is a pretty deep blue town. and It's a small town. You all know each other. But you've still heard um, worries about um, Voter fraud and I know the integrity of our elections. So, what do you tell people who I know either think that the twenty twenty election may have been rigged, or who might be worried whether their ballot is actually going to count if they vote by mail? How do you how do you quell those those anxieties people might have? Yeah. So those
2: are two different conversations that I have had. Um, the people so. I've had conversations with people who are convinced that the 2020 election was rigged. Not in Shutesbury, of course, obviously. They know we hand count. They've voted here their whole lives. They know the hand counters. Um, but, you know, everywhere else. What I try to do in those situations is I say, okay, where specifically? And then I try to say, okay, let's look at what that local election department has said about this because the conspiracies people have are things that people in those communities are dealing with. They have addressed, they have made resources available online that people can use to find out the truth and fact-checked information. And what I find really effective is if we look together Um, at that information, or if I call another election office to say, hey, I have somebody who is asking a question, can you direct me towards information for them? What they see is, oh, there is a human being in that community who is in the election office who is doing this stuff, who is just like the human being standing in front of me. And that Mm -hmm. humanizes it a lot. You're not going to change anybody's mind, really, not if they're deep into conspiracy theories, but you can change the tone of the conversation. And that's really important. The other conversation that I have actually much more frequently is people being afraid that conspiracy theorists are gonna accuse them of voter fraud because they voted by mail or that they'll get in trouble for making a mistake. Mm -hmm. Those conversations are often harder because that can be a very legitimate fear. I have had very intense conversations with new citizens who are terrified that um, if they register to vote, they might lose their citizenship somehow. You know, and then you look at what's happening in Florida where people who really truly believe they could legally register to vote and were told they could legally register to vote are being arrested. You can see where that fear comes from, and it's not unreasonable. And so what I do in those situations is I, again, I go back to I am the human being standing in front of you. It is important to me that your rights are guaranteed. And if there is a problem with your ballot, I will do my absolute best to contact you so that you can fix it. And if I can't reach you, I will send you a new ballot that's the law i'm just following the law but you have to meet people where they're at you have to make eye contact you have to build that trust and answer those questions again and again and it is frustrating to me that people can't just enjoy having a new voting option and instead are being bullied into feeling scared about it which no one should feel scared about voting that's silly
1: So we've been talking about the difficulties of being a town clerk. What changes would you like to see made in order to make your job a little easier here in the state of Massachusetts? What could the state of Massachusetts do to support a town like Shutesbury in getting these uh, elections um, done easier and less of a burden?
2: Absolutely. So uh, funding is a big one, but also tech support. Um, So, Shootsbury, like a lot of small towns out here, uh, we don't have an IT department, especially because one of the many, many new responsibilities for town clerks is we are now expected to be cybersecurity experts. And more and more, we are dealing with cybersecurity threats on a regular basis. So, doing that without the backup and benefit of IT support is, I'm going to use this word again, it is silly. (laughs) and The state should step up especially also if the state wants us to keep going with remote meetings or if the state wants to mandate that we offer hybrid meetings. We need IT support for that. We need tech and we need equipment. Um, I'm very excited about seeing numerous um, of the online platforms beginning to be improved that Massachusetts government relies on, but we need more of that. The other thing I would really like to see is, um, education and training, and investment in bringing new people into local government. You know it's not just town clerks that are facing the vacancy problem. Pretty much every aspect of local government, especially in the small towns, is facing the same issue. I'd really love to see some local government training programs at community colleges. They'd make those classes would make excellent Gen ed credits for kids going transferring onto a uh, four year program. It would also be a place where people who have been in government, local government for a long time, can build community, network, and also refine their skills. Um, And it will bring new people into the profession because people will sign up for that class as a gen ed, like a class about open meeting law or conflict of interest law or taking minutes or zoning or whatever it is. They'll sign up for that class for a gen ed or because it seems interesting, and then they'll realize they actually really enjoy it and be like, oh, there are all these towns out here who desperately need somebody who knows how to do it and enjoys it. So I'd like to see that, too. Hmm. I like to that's think a great about idea. When, when people ask me these things, I try to get practical.
1: Solutions. Those sound very practical to, to us. And the state should be making those investments if it cares about local democracy and, uh, and you know, <laughs> establishing trust in, in those local institutions. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what holds yeah, up just... the democracy statewide.
0: Just don't make Shootsbury upgrade from their wooden ballot box. I get the sense you don't want to let that go.
2: No. Well, what I always say, so we have uh, Shootsbury, we have, I'm very proud of this, uh, 85% of our total population is registered to vote. So we have about 1,500 voters. What I always say is if we had 200 more voters, I would be looking at getting a tabulator. Because at that point we would we are we are right up up at the upper crust of what is reasonable and reliable to manage in a hand count system.
0: So how late do you usually have to stay up counting votes?
2: Midnight. Well, I'm there till midnight. People, we usually are done with counting votes uh, by 11:30.
0: Do local election officials have a role in restoring faith in our institutions and saving democracy? Do you see town clerks and the way that we run elections as um, being know, central to this? Or do? We're the only ones who can. Fantastic. That's
2: a joke. I mean, everybody needs to <laughs> be involved. But nobody knows how elections work in Massachusetts except for town clerks. And that has always been true, but it is especially true right now. And what I have been so amazed to find is that for as absolutely crucial and fundamental this community is to the basic functioning of democracy in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts since the very beginning of our Commonwealth, there really isn't much written about us. People have not told our stories. So what needs to happen in order for town clerks to help save democracy is for our stories to be told.
1: And that's what we're doing here right on Panorama, and that's a perfect place To end our conversation with Grace Banish, Shootsbury town clerk on local elections and public records, and so much is riding on it. Good luck as we approach uh, November 8th. I hope, I'm sure it'll be very smooth in Shootsbury. Thanks again for coming on Panorama. Grace Banish, thanks for joining us on on today's show.
0: And you can listen to this episode again online if you go to whmp.com slash podcast slash panorama. There you will find dozens of other episodes Dan and I have done with local leaders, activists, artists, and people making a difference in their communities. A new episode of Panorama airs every Saturday morning at 101.5 WHMP. You can also catch us on the AM stations at 1400 and 1240. Well, thanks for tuning into Panorama, and we will catch you next time.